Welcome to our show and thanks for joining us. This is Grateful Heart, the motivational Arizona real estate and business show. We're here to inspire you to believe in yourself, to dare to dream about your infinite and divine possibilities, to blow open your mind to creating your most abundant reality possible as our thoughts are so powerful. I found turning my own personal grief into gratitude raised my vibration to be in tune for receiving prosperity, health, and connecting to God's source. I'm your host, Rebecca Rains of Integrity All-Stars at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and I have been selling homes here in the Valley since 1993. If you have any questions and are watching us live on our Facebook page, you can comment and we will do our best to answer while we are live on the show, so do not be shy. Today on our program, we have some great guests for you. Live from Phoenix, Arizona, it's the Grateful Heart Show with your host, Rebecca Rains. Happy Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Grateful Heart Show. And today we have a fabulous guest. I am so excited to introduce. Let me just, without any further ado, oh, did I lose him? There he is. Ryan Hurley from Copper State Farms. Welcome to the show, Grateful Heart. How are you this Hi fine there. Monday? Thanks for having me. Let me turn my volume up a little bit. Okay. So I asked Ryan to be on the show today because he is the attorney for Copper State Farms. If you guys aren't familiar, I'm sure Ryan will be more than happy to tell us who they are. Ryan, out of curiosity, can you talk to the audience and tell them a little bit about who you represent? Who's I'm assuming they're your main client. Absolutely. They're, at this point, they're my only client. I'm uh, in-house counsel, uh, general counsel for Copper State Farms. We are a vertically integrated uh, medical cannabis company here in Arizona. We uh, operate the country's largest uh, uh, marijuana cultivation facility up in Snowflake, Arizona. And we operate two dispensaries in Arizona in the Phoenix area uh, under the Soul Flower brand name. Uh, I have been co general counsel here at Copper State for three years now. And prior to that, I was uh, in private practice at Rose Law Group and uh, had a, a cannabis practice group where, where I represented a great number of clients, uh, Copper State being one of them at the time. So uh, I was happy to come on board as, as general counsel and I had the opportunity. Wonderful. So you've been doing this for just a little while, it sounds like. And I did tease you that, you you know, you are a U of A, I'm assuming, fan, since that's where you went to school, right? So Yes, undergrad and law school. So bear you, down. Bear down. So I, I'm ASU all the way, man. And I, if I'd known that ahead of time, I would have wore my ASU gear because I usually do tease my guests whenever I see that they're U of A. Uh, that said, I noticed when I asked you to do your intake form, uh, you were going to share with us why you're p passionate about ending cannabis prohibition. And I'd love to hear your take and your humble beginnings with all of this. Sure. You know, <clears throat> I think it, it started for me uh, about 10 years ago when uh, when Arizona was getting ready to pass its medical marijuana law. Uh, I really started digging in and doing the research myself and talking to individual patients and hearing their stories. And it became just patently clear to me at the time that uh, criminalizing medical marijuana was was uh, cruel yeah. and uh, was completely unjust and, and had no basis in science and no basis in justice. And it was just, uh, it was tragic and it was hard for me to ignore uh, when I talked to these patients and they said, look, if I didn't have access to this medicine, I'd kill myself. That's and horrible. And they were serious. And, and others, whether they would kill themselves or not, would probably die without it because they couldn't eat or sleep. You know, I'm getting uh, so to, to me to, to deny somebody that medication is just 
patently unfair and, and unconstitutional and un-American. And so I, I really Ooh. felt the need to take up the fight for that because uh, I had the opportunity to do so here, here in Arizona. Right. And then once that uh, kind of started to take uh, take hold, I started looking at the broader um, injustices of, of cannabis prohibition in general. And, and the idea that we were locking people in jail uh, for doing something like uh, choosing to use cannabis, which is a, a substance that is objectively less harmful and less dangerous than alcohol. Uh, and so it just uh, uh, was a natural fit for me to broaden that fight to, uh, to ending cannabis prohibition. So the reason why I asked you to be on the show today is because it is coming up on our, on what, like 43 more days for the next election, right? We have a, a Proposition 207 on the ballot, and it's to legalize adult use. So we're going to go from transition from the medical side to the recreational side of things if it passes this time. It was on the ballot four years ago, was it not? Yes, it was. We, we were uh, just a little short, about a point and a half, a percentage point and a half short of passage point and a half. What do you think happened and what do you think we could do different this time around? Yeah, I mean, it was very clear what happened. Uh, opposition raised a great deal of money, uh, some of it from some less than reputable sources uh, like Insys Pharmaceuticals, uh, the manufacturer of a sublingual uh, fentanyl spray, whose uh, CEO subsequently went to uh, jail recently for uh, bribes and kickbacks and essentially, uh, you know, knowingly getting people hooked on opiates. And uh, the opposition took that money gladly and went to the airwaves and lied to Arizonans about uh, cannabis. So that's- And uh, they had more money than us. They raised more money in Arizona than they raised in every other state combined that year to fight cannabis. Uh, and there were, uh, I think, seven other states that had a cannabis measure. Well, so I'm- that's, that's what happened. And, and uh, fortunately, I think we're, we're more prepared this time. Well, there's 11 states from what I from what I read, and I could be wrong. 11 states that currently have it uh, okay for recreational use, correct? I, I think it's 11 plus DC. Yeah, I okay. think that's right. So, mm-hmm. so obviously, over the last few years, the Americans have changed their minds on this matter quite a bit. And one thing that struck me funny while I was getting lost in your guys's fabulous website, which I'm going to scroll through so the audience can see the website. What I, struck me funny was Sun City is where you guys have one of your locations for distribution, correct? Oh, absolutely. It's our, it's one of our, it's our flagship dispensary. It's a beautiful store. It's at 99th Avenue in Thunderbird, uh, Soul Flower Cafe and Wellness Center. It has a uh, wellness component, a multi-purpose room where we do yoga and all sorts of uh, classes about wellness, and then a cafe that is outside the uh, the uh, bounds of the dispensary, so the public can come in. And while they're in the cafe or, or taking a yoga class, they can clearly see into the dispensary, see it's not a scary place. Right black lights and, you know, Rasta posters all over the wall. And (laughs) so we try to make it welcoming to all. Well, and that's what I thought was so interesting for those people who maybe hear marijuana and they assume that just like the, I don't know, teenagers hanging out in the corners or the alleys. And, you know, it seemed to me that was one thing that was like, wow, really surprised to see Sun City. But I guess it makes sense because they're the ones who are probably using it the most for medical purposes, folks that maybe have some really serious ailments. And as you said, Brian, you know, need the medicine. Otherwise, they could be taking other things that are a lot worse for them. Yeah, we've had uh, we've had real good traction out in Sun City. We we uh, we serve all sorts of age demographics out there. Believe believe it or not, our our uh, uh, the the people uh, that are fifty five and older are one of the 
growing biggest growing segments of the cannabis market. And so we're really trying to help those folks with uh, a number of uh, ailments and remedies that, uh, you know, like you said, that they would be using pharmaceuticals for that, that uh, may or may not be doing the trick and may or may not be causing other problems uh, that they don't wish to have side effects. So awesome. Uh, we're yeah, really I, trying our best to broaden the market. I loved that it was a wellness center. You guys are doing yoga, meditation, that there was a restaurant involved. During COVID, are you guys still operating the same as you were prior to COVID? Uh, so we definitely things have changed a little bit. Uh, thankfully, we were designated as an essential service mm -hmm. uh, along with other medical providers and uh, the pharmacies. So uh, we have stayed open to make sure our patients are being served. Uh, we've of course had to make sure that everybody's wearing masks and doing appropriate social distancing. Uh, we are offering free uh, antibody tests for our, our employees uh -huh. uh, on a regular basis. So we make sure that uh, we're, we're able to stay open and serve our patients. Uh, the cafe was of course closed for quite a while. Sure. Uh, I think it's starting to come back in a limited fashion. Uh, and uh, we have really tried to uh, encourage people to order online uh, before they show up so they can get their uh, products faster and we have less people that are coming in the store. Of course, that's hindered by the fact that we can't take credit card transactions uh, because of the federal law. So uh, it's uh, it's challenging and it's it's been interesting to see how we've gone from uh, being illegal just a few short years ago to being an essential service. Isn't so, that funny? The, yeah. Well, so I'm going to pop over to the screen, and if you don't mind, real quick. So there you are, Ryan Hurley, if anybody wants to get a hold of you after this. Uh, I will be more than happy to share your contact info. And here's the website for Copper State Farms. And what I read, it looks like we are, Copper State is the number one grower in the entire state of Arizona, but they're also the biggest grower in the entire country. Is that not correct? Uh, we are definitely the biggest in Arizona, and we are definitely one of the biggest in the country. I, I believe we have uh, the largest facility uh, that's uh, currently under production, but there, I'm sure there's a few in California that give us a run for our money. Yeah, well, it, from the show that I watched over the weekend, it looked like California definitely gives a run for the money, and that, and I will be leading over to that in just a moment. Here's the Arizona Proposition 207. Uh, that is what is on the ballot in barely over 40 days on November 3rd. And if you vote yes, this ballot will legalize the possession and use of marijuana for persons who are at least 21 years old, enact a tax on marijuana sales, and require the State Department of Health and Human Services develop rules to regulate the marijuana businesses. Vote no, obviously, would just kind of keep things um, the same as they have been, which is okay for medical use. And as I was sharing with you, Ryan, before the show started, I did watch this documentary, most of it over the weekend, The Business of Drugs on Cannabis. And what I thought was really interesting, the biggest takeaway I had for it was California, who has legalized it for recreational use, according to the doc documentary I watched, said that 80% of the state's cannabis sales, sales are still on the black market. And I was kind of curious about your take. Oops, let me go back the right way. Uh, your take on what, oop, see, I should not be in charge of this for I, uh, it, it, I'd love to know your take on maybe what did California do wrong or what are we going to do different here in Arizona? Why would the voters, obviously it seems kind of moot to pass it and then still have 80% being on the black market still. Sure. Yeah. And, and California faced a number of challenges that thankfully we, we don't have here in Arizona, not the least of which is that they had uh, a gray medical marijuana market for, you know, about two decades, almost 20 years, really. Uh, 
uh, and uh, it was de facto legal in California, but it was still illegal. There was no state level uh, regulatory scheme to allow the actual legal sale of it. So it existed in this weird gray area for a very long time. Uh, Arizona's medical marijuana law was regulated from the beginning. We've had regulated sales and dispensaries. We've had taxes we've been paying. We've had business licenses that we've been getting. We've been complying with zoning. All of those things that we've been doing here in Arizona already for 10 years, uh, California had none of that. So it was a big shock to the system in California. Uh, they had to establish an entirely new regulatory body. And uh, instead of just having one regulatory body, as California likes to do, they, they certainly had a lot of uh, other regulatory bodies weigh in. So I, you know, I don't know the exact number, but it, it's something like five or six different regulatory bodies that you've got to comply with out in California uh, just to be legal and licensed. In addition to that, they set the tax too high. I mean, I think everybody knew that, uh, you know, there's this uh, uh, desire to try to exact as much tax revenue as possible out of this to pay for a lot of problems that society is facing. But uh, if you set the tax level too high, it's harder to compete against the black market pricing. Uh, and, uh, you know, those things are starting to be addressed in California. It's going to take some time. You know, I think it's just like alcohol prohibition. Moonshiners didn't go away overnight. It took a while for the legal uh, market to get established. But thankfully in Arizona, uh, we, we don't have those regulatory problems. We've had a legal regulatory market for years and our tax rate is far lower. It'll be lower than, than any other legalized state uh, in the country, but it's still a very sensible 16% end of line sales tax that at its full capacity should raise about $300 million annually for the state. Uh, so we tried to find that sweet spot. I think we've done a good job uh, in the initiative language. So the $300 million that's anticipated for the state, is that an addition or is it going to be replacing some of the tax monies from the medical side of things? So medical does not have a separate uh, tax associated with it. Medical okay. tax is just, uh, just uh, retail sales tax. Okay. So it's the same sales taxes you would pay for like any eight percent or whatever it is, wherever the municipality happens to be, that kind of thing. So exactly, the, the municipality, the county, and the state uh, added together. So currently, it's somewhere between six and nine percent, depending on where you live. Uh, so that that money goes to the state general fund, and it's distributed like any other sales tax. So this uh, additional sixteen percent tax uh, will not be charged to medical, but will be charged to. Uh, recreational people that don't go get the cards. So, okay. Uh, it will be an addition, but I, I would suspect we'll see some people let their cards lapse eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, the sales tax portion of the medical will probably go down slightly. Well, and, and I'm sure I, the people that I know that have medical cards, they'd probably have them for good reasons. And I'm not saying that they don't, but I would assume that if they could just purchase it at the corner store recreationally, why would they keep the medical card going? And so just curious, I have friends who live in Washington State, California, Colorado, a couple different states where it is legal. And a couple of them did mention to me like, hey, well, make sure, you know, when you guys are making the decision on voting, that the money's going to really go where it's supposed to. And I'm assuming that things have happened in other states that after the fact, the money's never made it to where maybe the voters thought they were going to see it when they voted. What say you? Like, what what are we expecting this Prop 207 monies to be helping? Yeah. So uh, first of all, the money gets distributed uh, to a number of different areas. Uh, first, it goes to run the program. Next, it goes to pay for uh, expungement process, which I think is a very important part of this initiative. We will talk Not about that. Shelf that for a second. 
Yeah, not only are we legalizing cannabis and the sales of cannabis, but we're making sure that anybody who was charged with uh, possession or something that would now be legal after the initiative is passed has an opportunity to go back and clean out their record. Uh, and, and that is just hugely important for a number of reasons. And frankly, even if you hate cannabis, uh, that that provision uh, ought to encourage you to vote for Proposition 207. And so, that's the last prisoner project from what I was reading, uh, from what you were telling me about before you came on the show, right? Uh, the Last Prisoner Project is a nonprofit uh, that helps people expunge their records, and uh, the, the Proposition 207 will help fund organizations like that, and will also help pay the court costs uh, to process these expungements. So, quick question for you: Not that I'm proud of this fact, Ryan, but I'm completely transparent. I have a nephew who's serving time right now in Arizona prison for dealing marijuana, and he's supposed to be out this spring. So if this passes, what could he expect? Anything that would be different than what he's currently looking at? So it depends uh, very much on the specifics of his case. And certainly I would uh, encourage him to go uh, talk to his criminal lawyer and see mm -hmm. what uh, his options will be if this initiative passes. But the broad, broad strokes of it are if it, if it will be legal after November 1st, then you have the opportunity to petition the court to expunge your record. So it okay. uh, depends on the specifics of his case. Uh, of course, but. of course. So, and, and his case wasn't just using, which I assume would be very different than somebody who was distributing it illegally that's still going to be considered illegal after the fact if you're not going through the right channels to actually do it the right way, like Copper State is obviously doing a lot of things right. Um, number one, having yeah, you as our attorney, it's, uh, <laughs> keeping them out of trouble. A, a line there that's, uh, that's uh, you know, the criminal justice system will walk. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and actually, you hit one of the questions I had from one of our audience at the end of our show. And I, you, since we're already talking about it, I may as well scroll through. Um, so let's see here, Ryan. This is the states. You gave me this uh, website. It's mpp.org. In this shows all the states that it's currently legal in, the states that have removed jail crime for possessing small amounts of marijuana, there's still a lot of them. So that could be happening in our state before long. And obviously uh, the West Coast seems to be dominating it and it's kind of bleeding over to Arizona and, and hopefully we'll see some things change. Now, quick question for you since you are an attorney, I'm gonna take advantage of the fact that you, you can speak to this for us, federal policy. Federal policy is obviously trumping state policy, but it is and it's not. Can you talk to us and help us understand what we're looking at with the feds as far as the rules versus our state laws? Because if Arizona passes it, isn't it if the federal government still calls it illegal, isn't that still a problem? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And let me just uh, finish off my thought of where the money goes for 207, just so people okay. know. Uh, the, uh, after those two items, the money will go to uh, police and fire departments to pay for uh, pension obligations, and then it will go to community colleges and to the highway fund, and then to Department of Health Services to, to uh, help with substance abuse, and then also to, uh, to this justice, justice, justice Reinvestment Fund. So lots of good things that that money will do. There's a lot uh, of good things. Awesome. Yeah. So the, the federal law scenario is one of the most interesting uh, things I've ever encountered as an attorney. Um, it is still against federal law. Every, every single day I go to work and every single patient that comes into our dispensary is violating federal law right. when we do what we do. Um, the uh, interesting part is that uh, that has been, uh, that little fact has been 
tried and, and tested inside the uh, a number of different courtrooms and every single court has ruled that while it is still against federal law and the feds could come in and enforce that law anytime sure. they wanted to, uh, states under the Constitution and under the Controlled Substances Act are free to enact their own laws about drugs within the state level. And, and every single uh, you know marijuana possession um, and 99% of marijuana sale cases are prosecuted at the at the state level. They're not prosecuted right. at the federal level. Uh, but we this this strange sort of tension between the two laws still exists. And uh, you know the federal government uh, for the last decade or so has has uh, decided that this is not a priority of enforcement, which uh, you know is sort of a halfway there. Right. <laughs> and they really have laid off uh, operators uh, that have been in complete compliance with state law. And we currently, uh, on the medical side anyway, benefit from a, uh, a rider in, a bu in the budget appropriations process that says the uh, Department of Justice is prohibited from spending any money to prosecute anybody that's in compliance with the state medical marijuana law. That, uh, that does not expand to recreational yet, sure. uh, but it, we're hoping that we will continue to get there. And frankly, we're hoping that Congress will get off their butts and do the right thing and, and enact the will of the people and deschedule this and let states decide to do with it on their what they will on their own. Right? So this it, is a state rights issue. Is that something that we could expect Congress to be doing soon? But what I noticed on the website, it, it had a little place for me to fill in my info and let Congress know how I felt about the matter. But is it something that they're actually working on decriminalizing? So it sounds like they're just got their hands tied behind their back and it's just a waste of taxpayers dollars to even have it be legal at the federal level. It is. And it, and it really at this point, it's creating more problems than it's than it's tempting to solve. Right. I mean, it it's a challenge for some of uh, these businesses to get banking. Like I mentioned before, we mm -hmm. can't take credit cards. Uh, you know, if if you have an entire industry that is operating on cash, uh, it right. has all sorts of other implications for public safety and compliance and paying your taxes. And so, it, you know, th that the, the genie is out of the bottle. You're not right. going to recriminalize cannabis in California or Colorado or Oregon or Washington. It's not going to happen. So sure. let's acknowledge the reality and let's allow these businesses to be treated like any other business. Like take a credit card over the phone kind of thing instead of just operating just on cash. Bank account and be able to pay your pay your employees on a regular payroll basis. I mean, these are things that some cannabis businesses have been able to have, but other cannabis businesses do not. It's so, been a real challenge. So how do you guys pay your employees? Is that what it potentially could be causing the risk for you guys to have that much cash on hand? That sounds so dangerous, we, we, actually. We've been very fortunate uh, that we've had a bank account from the beginning. Uh -huh. there, there's a couple of banks in Arizona that uh, that understand the need for this and, and have uh, analyzed the federal enforcement uh, provisions that, that also apply to banks and sure. say, uh, you know, we're going to provide these services. And so we're very, very transparent with our bank. They demand a high level of transparency and, and regulation compliance. Um, but other businesses and other states are not so lucky, uh, and they they do have problems with cash management. So before we're going to take a short break here momentarily, but before we do, I do want to ask you one question that caught my eye on your guys's website, and that if we decriminalize the use of cannabis for recreation use, potentially forty percent of the crimes committed out there will no longer be considered crimes is that did i read that correctly or that 40 percent of people who are incarcerated currently are something related to the use of marijuana yeah i'm not i'm not sure what the, that specific stat is that you're referring to sure. but the vast the vast majority of cannabis crimes are simple possession mm -hmm. right i mean it happens all the time 
People have to, to let their card lapse even, even if they're patients and their card lapses for a little while. In Arizona, possession of any amount of cannabis, even one tiny little leaf or even resin in a pipe that you smoked three weeks ago, right. uh, any amount of cannabis is a felony in Arizona. And that we are one of the last places in the country where that is still true. A felony. Uh, so, that sounds uh, really I serious. That's probably referring to those vast majority of simple possession cases. I, and I'm sure you're probably right. You know, a felony is a really big stinking deal. You know, here in Arizona, I'm a real estate licensee. I would be in trouble if I had a felony in my record for something like that, as well as the other 90,000 licensed realtors in the state of Arizona. So for something so what could be considered minor, there's some serious consequences that people are still facing. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I thank you for bringing that up because that is one of the things that no, that gets lost in this conversation about legalization. We talk about the costs and benefits of what we what would happen under legalization, but we never talk about the costs of prohibition, which are staggering, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody gets a felony, they may lose their profession, they may lose their licensing, they may lose their ability to uh, get student loans or become an officer in the military or qualify for housing. And all of these things have generational impacts on, sure. on every generation after that, uh, you know, which 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 has uh, impacts on on your kids and their kids. And it takes us for a long, long time to get out of that. And God forbid you end up in the criminal justice system. And, uh, you know, the criminal justice system is not designed to rehabilitate people. No. It's designed to punish people. And that punishment can last, have lasting consequences. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, you know, from speaking about the experience with my nephew, he's gotten himself in more trouble being where he's at than he was before he had gone in. And, and it's very, you know, sad for my heart to know that, you know, he's a totally different person after spending a couple of years in prison over this. And, exactly. you know, I'd love to see him come out and, and be rehabilitated and have a good life. But if he can't expunge his record, you know, that's something that's going to haunt him and his children for, like you say, possibly generations. Okay, Absolutely. guys, uh, we're going to take, take a quick break. Listen to our, our sponsors. Please stay with us because I've got a whole bunch more questions for Ryan to help you guys make up your mind how you're going to be voting, what, in 43 more days. Be back with you. For a mortgage, you need a personalized plan, not a click button, get mortgage option. Tara Creek and the TK team have saved families thousands by proactively planning their home purchase or refinance. Buying a home is a huge decision. It deserves a strategic approach. The TK team provides you with a comprehensive mortgage plan, including a complete credit analysis outlining the steps needed to improve your credit score, helping you qualify for better rates and terms. Visit the TKteam.us today. We'll ensure you get the best guidance so you make the best decisions. The TK Team, moving you forward. Hi, I'm Rebecca Hidalgo Rains with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. I've been selling homes here in the Valley for over a quarter of a century already. I want to say that experience truly matters. So when you're looking for your realtor to help you either buy or sell your biggest purchase of your life, I hope you'll consider using me. However, my experience doesn't matter nearly as much as my clients' experience. I dare you to Google me. You'll see nothing but fantastic reviews because I truly care to help navigate you and your family to the very best experience you'll ever have with buying a home. Hi, my name is Rob Sell. I'm with Sell Home Inspections. been doing home inspections in the Valley for about 20 years. I do a variety of home inspections from new builds, resale, commercial, multifamily units, fourplexes, duplexes, and even on up from there. I can be reached at 602-908-7355. Again, 602-908-7355. Thank you, and I appreciate it, and I look forward to hearing from you. Whether purchasing a home or refinancing, we know you have choices when it comes to choosing a title company. 
Lawyer's Title is the leading source for all title, escrow, and marketing needs. With access to the largest group of title insurance underwriters, Lawyer's Title facilitates successful closings and protects clients from fraud. Creating solutions that save time and money for everyone, ask a realtor or a loan officer today about using Lawyer's Title on your next real estate transaction. Lawyer's Title is a member of the Fidelity National Financial Family. Have you been thinking about buying a new home or refinancing your existing mortgage? Interest rates are still around historically low levels. Why pay a higher rate when you don't have to? Call Joe Smith at Epic Mortgage for a free mortgage quote or pre-qualification. Epic Mortgage is a locally owned, independent mortgage brokerage that provides low-cost options for its customers. Independently owned means low overhead so you can get the best rate, fees, and service. Keep more of your money. Brokers are better. Reels are recommended for over 20 years. Contact Joe Smith at Epic Mortgage today. 602-741-4121. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully you're all still with us. We had a a really actually great conversation just now on break. Ryan's awesome. I was complimenting him and, you know, just because he's so knowledgeable and so energetic and, and has so much to share with us on this topic of cannabis and legalizing it here in Arizona. What we did mention on break, which was mind blowing, I keep talking about how, you know, election days in 43 days, but the reality is Ryan reminded me, we're all going to be making up our minds, most of us, within the next couple weeks, because most of us, thanks to COVID, are going to be voting through the mail system this year, which means what, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think early ballots uh, are getting mailed here in a week or two weeks. Uh, so it means uh, this election is started uh, very soon. And, uh, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of concern about uh, the volume of the mail. So uh, people are going to be returning their ballots quickly. I would encourage you to do that as well uh, after you voted yes on 207, of course. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it does really mean that the election is is uh, at our at our feet. Uh, it's not really in November. It starts in October. It's definitely starting in October. And that said, I had a litany of questions for you, sir. And I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to ask you some of them. Um, I basically want to know the financial benefits for our state to go from medical to recreation use. And are a majority of rec users getting medical cards? Will there be even a difference, really? And I think that was basically, I think we kind of hit it earlier. But is there anything that we haven't discussed yet that would be a benefit going from medical to the rec use? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of different benefits, uh, not the least of which is there's a number of patients uh, that would be patients that can't qualify for a medical card under Arizona law, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people that we see come in the dispensary, their their number one biggest health concern is that they can't sleep. Right. And uh, if, if you know anything about cannabis, it is a, a, a damn near miracle worker for to help people sleep. Mm-hmm. And if you can't sleep, then you can't heal. If you have other underlying conditions. So um, those folks now will not have to go into their doctor and try to try to manufacture some reason to get a card or have somebody else that they know that can qualify Mm -hmm. for them, which happens all the time. I, I, you know, uh, or or continue to go to their illegal dealer. Those folks will now be able to walk into a dispensary without having to uh, worry that they're been judged worthy by somebody to, that their condition is is bad enough to have cannabis. Well, uh, so that's one one big benefit that we don't have right now. And I think that should speak to the safety of the general public. For those people who maybe can't qualify for medical card, I would think it'd be a lot safer for them to just to go into a distribution area. What do you call them? Um, your centers. Dispensary. Your dispensary. Thank you. And and just be able to go buy it off the shelf with somebody with lights on, and it's not like in a dark hidden alley or who knows. I mean, this way you guys know what's going in there. Who knows what people are getting when they're getting it off the streets? Like, there's so many great reasons, in my opinion. 
a just stop spending the money to pursue something that the majority of people are doing it and they're doing it you know probably pretty safe and you know just to allow them to to do it not being in trouble and having to be worried about all of a sudden maybe having a felony. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, and those, the effects of that are, are disproportionately felt by communities of color here in Arizona and across the country. Uh, you know, a lot of the reason for the first interaction of people with, uh, with the police and with the, with the uh, criminal justice system in general is this uh, notion that we're going to criminalize possession and, and uh, you know, oh, I smell marijuana. That's how a lot of these horrible uh, scenarios start. And if right. we can el eliminate that first interaction, there's going to be a lot of people that uh, that don't end up in a scenario where we currently have, where where uh, you know somebody accidentally gets shot by the police and, and you know, in an unjustified way. So right. I'm not saying it's a, it's a it's a fix for all of that, but it, it's a start. It's a good place to start. So do you think this is actually going to take away revenue from the black market immediately upon it becoming legal, because if somebody uh, Yes, undoubtedly. I mean, we've we've seen that. We've seen that by the records of uh, seizures that are happening at the at the southern border. Mm -hmm. Legalization has done what prohibition uh, spent trillions of dollars and forty years trying to do, and that is undermining the illegal cartels that are perpetrating violence. Right. Uh, we the the evidence is clear that the that that revenue stream is starting to dry up for them. It's going to take time. Uh, to fully transition, but the evidence is clear that it's happening. And 40 years and trillions of dollars of the drug war didn't put a dent in it. All it did was was enrich those violent cartel members. So it's it's clear that the, the, the legalization is going to undermine that. It's taking some time, but it will happen faster in Arizona because of the way we've structured the initiative. Well, that's amazing to hear, and I look forward to that. Um, let's see. Would what the, okay, this is a quick question for you because I'm in real estate and you know, it does come up. We did have a dispensary right outside the gates of one of my client's properties who bought this past year. And being a realtor, you know, I'm always gonna point out the nuisances in the area and just wanted to make sure how he felt about buying this home that literally there was a dispensary right outside his gate. And, you know, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders like, Rebecca, it's gonna be legal before, who, who cares? But I have had other people stay away from this particular neighborhood because of the location of the dispensary. They saw it as an eyesore. What say you, are we, if it passes, are there gonna be all of us in a dispensary on every corner, like Circle K or QT. So uh, right now, there's about a hundred. There's 131 licenses in Arizona. There's about 120 or so dispensaries in Arizona across the state. Uh, that number will increase very, very slightly under the recreational initiative. So no, you won't see a, a huge number of new stores popping up overnight. Uh, now, uh, you know that that's one thing certainly, but the other. Uh, is the the notion that somehow this is different than any other retail use and, and it really right. isn't uh, and and in fact I I've seen uh, you know actual documented cases where a dispensary opening up in a particular area of town has actually made it safer uh, hmm. you know I've seen that happen with one of my previous clients uh, there was a dispensary at I-17 and and uh, Indian School uh -huh. is one of the most uh, dangerous uh, intersections uh, as far as crime goes anywhere in the state. And uh, the crime dropped after that dispensary opened and it's because they have a security guard out in front all the time, it's because they have cameras now in areas where there weren't cameras. Okay. And they're good partners to the police and the law enforcement. When something happens, law enforcement comes and asks 
the dispensary for the tape. I've seen a number of crimes get solved because of that, and they wouldn't have happened if the dispensary wasn't there. And previously, what you had there was a was an empty building, most likely. Uh, and so really, uh, these things are, are, are good for neighborhoods, they're good for commercial property, they're good for real estate value. Well, and that's awesome to hear because, you know, obviously, I don't know enough to be dangerous. And so I, I want to hear from a professional like you. So the next time I have that conversation with my client, you know, it's interesting is it's down by Sun Lakes, which is the opposite from Sun City, where you guys currently have a, a um, dispensary. And I'm assuming that most of their clientele probably is Sun Lakes folks that are coming in because they are using it for medical reasons. And, you know, if you think about it, like, are you really scared of, you know, an older retiree coming in, you know, to buy their medical. I mean, that's not yeah. a scary, that's not a scary picture in anybody's image, I don't think. Um, yeah, I, I, if you have uh, concerns about it or, or preconceived notions of what it might be, I, I would really encourage you to, to you know, if, if you're too afraid to go inside and do a tour, uh, you know, uh, stand out in front and see the, the cross section of people that go into a dispensary. Can you actually do a tour? Uh, you'll see that it's, it's, what's that? You can actually do a tour? I thought you, unless you had uh, a in card. Very limited circum- in very limited okay. circumstances, visitors are allowed into dispensaries as long as they are uh, always uh, accompanied. Uh, but you can do virtual tours. You can okay. go on Google and see what they look like inside very easily. But, uh, you know, just stand outside and see the cross uh, cross section of life that goes in there. And it'll look like our society. Right. It looks like your neighbors. It looks like your family members. It's uh, the people going uh, into QT and Circle K. You mean like yeah. really if just you, everybody if you don't know marijuana users. You're wrong. You do. They just haven't shared it with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wonder how many will come out of the closet once this passes, because I would assume that once it's decriminalized, especially at the federal level, people are not going to be so you know bashful about admitting that they use it for recreation or medical use it's just right now it's illegal you don't talk about it yeah and that was one of the biggest benefits of medical marijuana is all of a sudden people that have been using it to manage various conditions uh for for decades now felt comfortable enough to say yes I, i i do use this and no it doesn't make me a criminal and no it doesn't make me a bad person and yes it helps me live a better life uh, that's very powerful, and I think that's why we see, uh, you know, recreational or adult use follow on the heels of medical so quickly is because all of a sudden people it's uh, people are starting to see that this is their friends and family and neighbors. Do you think we'll ever see a day? I, I have traveled to Europe a couple of times, and I had been to Amsterdam where they literally have pot bars, and instead of it being a dispensary, people like literally walk in and sit at a bar and partake. Do you think we'll ever see a day like that in the U.S.? Because anywhere it's legal, there's nothing like that here, is there? Uh, not in Arizona, but there are places where that can be done. Really? Uh, Nevada is working on it. Uh, Colorado is working on it. There is a tasting uh, room in uh, in a dispensary in, outside of Las Vegas. So uh, wow. it's not so crazy. It will happen. Had no uh, idea. It's take some time. And in Arizona, it won't be for several years after the initiative passes uh, that the DHS even has the option to add it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, it, it doesn't make sense, particularly for tourists, right? We don't right. want to enable them to come and purchase this legally and then have no place to consume it if their Airbnb or their hotel sure. doesn't allow them to use it. We don't want to be driving people into the streets to use it, right? We'd right. much rather have them in a, in a, a safe. safe environment and uh, where they can get an Uber to ride home. So I'm going to have to hit you up with the next question that I have heard 
I can't even tell you how many countless times. When people think of cannabis, they think of green. And I'm not talking about the plant. I'm talking about the dollar. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I'm in the wrong business. Have you seen how much money those people are making off of cannabis? You know, like if somebody today in Arizona wanted to be the next copper state, I know from watching the documentary I had shared earlier in the show, there's a lot that goes into it and a lot of money you need to have to start. But just basic bullet points. Ryan, if somebody that you knew, like me, I want to start I want to start selling cannabis. It becomes legal. What do I do? Like, what are your first steps and what would it really take? Sure. So it is extremely complicated. Uh, it can take a, a lot of money to get started, especially if you're going to do something on the scale of what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and be prepared because uh, whether you know it or not, you're going to be giving half of your top line revenue to the federal government. Because despite the fact that they say it's illegal and it has no medical benefit, they still, they still tax us. The money. And not only that, but they tax us on the top line. They don't allow us to deduct any ordinary costs of doing business. Oh, uh, wow. Like our rent or our payroll for our dispensary folks. Uh, so it's uh, it's extremely capital intensive. The taxes are a nightmare. Uh, and it's uh, everything else uh, that you would need in every other business costs 10 to 20% more because of it. So Well, and you're uh, operating on cash, too. Which and, and you have to deal with a lot of cash. Yeah. Complicates uh, things extra so it's mentally. A, it's a tough business. Uh, but th- that being said, that said, there is a ton of opportunity. Uh, and in Arizona, it's going to be difficult to get a, uh, a new license for a dispensary, but they will exist. Uh, and the rules for how to get those will be established by the Department of Health Services after the initiative passes. So okay. I would say if you're interested, uh, get involved in that process right right from the get-go. As soon as the initiative passes, start uh, looking at DHS's website and, and figuring out how they're going to allocate those new licenses. Uh, in addition, there's a, a million other different ways to get involved, right? Uh, if you have a, a great brand idea or a marketing solution that you want to bring, you can partner with an existing dispensary uh, to, to create a new line of products together. Uh, you know, real estate, uh, providing new spaces for kitchens and for sure. uh, extraction labs uh, is, is a huge opportunity. Lawyers, accountants, everything that every other business would need, uh, they still we need, need. It too. Mm-hmm. And, and our market is about to double. So, well, and that's what I anticipated. There could be a lot of opportunity. You know, with COVID, all we kept hearing about was pivoting and new opportunities and changing the way you think about so much. And oh my gosh, it's partially why the real estate business has been so cuckoo over the last six months. Is everybody's like trying to figure out what they want to do when they grow up, and so much life changes. And I could see somebody saying, you know, I hate my cubicle job. They're going to make me go back next month. No more Zoom meetings. I'm not doing this anymore. And so I'm assuming the majority of the new licenses that are going out will be going to you guys that have already been doing it at the medical level. And then there may be a handful for those who aren't currently in the space, right? Yeah, that's correct. So one of the the big uh, issues that we wanted to solve was to prevent this lag time like they had in California, right? Mm -hmm. Between when they pass the initiative and they add uh, regulations for licensing businesses was I think almost two years. Uh, so that really That's a long time. the black market and the gray market to continue to do what they do and, and uh, makes it much harder to transition. So we wanted to make sure that transition happened smoothly. Mm-hmm. So very early on, any medical uh, licensee holder that's in good standing that uh, that wants to obtain a recreational license will be able to do so quickly. Okay. So that by, uh, you know, hopefully uh, late spring, early summer, we should be able to start selling uh, to anybody with an ID that proves they're 21 or over. 
Uh, and that'll be a, a you know less than wow. six month transition where other states have taken two to four years to do that. That's uh, so amazing. That was important. Uh, in addition to that, there will be a number, I think it's 26 uh, social equity licenses, and those licenses will be allocated to, to folks that were disproportionately impacted by the drug war, uh, communities of color uh, and uh, other folks like that. To so, perhaps encourage um, those folks to do it on the legal side of things. Is that the idea? Yeah, exactly. And, okay. to, give, and to give them opportunity uh, to, to try to participate in the business so that uh, we can start to right some of the wrongs that, that have been perpetrated by the by the prohibition of cannabis over the years. Okay. So uh, I was very interesting when I mentioned like people wanting to get into the business. I was on your guys' website and I came across a name that a lot of us know, especially those of us who have grown up here in Arizona. Fife Symington apparently is one of your guys' owners of Copper State, but not the Fife. And I was joking with you earlier, Ryan. I'm like, wow, he looked really good for his age because apparently it's his son, right? It is Fife. Fife the Fourth is one of our founders. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, had a, a real strong uh, background in, in uh, greenhouse vegetable production. Okay. And uh, you know, he, uh, along with his father, shared the idea that uh, we should try to maximize liberty here mm-hmm. in this country uh, and personal choice. And if we can do that in a way that uh, that doesn't impact other people's liberty, then uh, then we ought to do that. So they shared that ethos and. Uh, he shared that background or he had that background of uh, production and, and so it was a natural fit. Well, that's awesome. Well, your guys' website is really impressive, I have to say. Please do go back and tell them because I found out so much cool stuff when I was going through it this morning. Um, so real quick, let's see. Um, I'm going to switch over to the questions I got from the viewers of the show because I had three questions. I think two of them or one of them at least we hit. So bear with me real quick, Ryan, and I'm going to scroll on down. This is where if you guys I'll want to uh, put in a little plug, if you don't mind, sure. smartandsafeaz.com uh, is where you can go to uh, donate and learn more about Proposition 207. Okay. So if you're inclined, if you could give 5 or $10, uh, we could use every, uh, every ounce of support we can get. Well, I'll make sure to post that when we share this on YouTube and then also on our podcast. What was the website again, Ryan? Uh, smart and safe az smart and safe az well we'll make sure to plug that away for everybody it looks like you guys are looking for a little bit of donations and let me just scroll down here and while while you're online we'll also share with you guys the link to try to help congress get rid of it at the federal level um, yeah and we are closer than we ever have been to that uh the <clears throat> u.s house of representatives uh as uh uh you know, is indicated that they would like to vote on the Moore Act, uh, which deschedules cannabis and expunges records and does a lot of other wonderful things. Um, of course, with Mitch McConnell still leading the Senate, it'll be dead on arrival, which is unfortunate and tragic. Uh, but uh, we're how much we're longer does he that- have an office? <laughs> I'm hopeful that it won't last past <laughs> January. You ask me. Okay. Well, we'll wait and see what happens. Oh, this is where the 40% came up. You remember how I told you I was flopping through your guys' website? So I'm on Soulflower, which is the name of the dispensary, which was a link from the Copper State Growers website. And this is where they said that cannabis made up 40% of all drug-related arrests. Ah, yes, that is absolutely true. Yeah, the vast majority of of crimes uh, that, that, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, prosecutions under the under the drug laws are for cannabis because that's what the majority of people use. I mean, the the, the rates of drug of other harder drug use are very low. They're not correlated to cannabis use at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, 
like I said before, it's your it's your friends, family, and neighbors that are using cannabis. So, so why why do you want to lock them up? I don't want to brush that over that too quickly. So what you just said made me think of the gateway drug. Like everybody always talks about like, ooh, weed, marijuana is so bad for you. You're going to go right into doing heroin if you st- if you even give it a try. Can you say what you just said again? Because I just really want to hone it home to our audience that it's perhaps not the gateway drug yes. that everybody thought it was. Yeah, you know, even even the DEA has abandoned the gateway argument because it has zero support in science or fact. And if you think about it from a logical standpoint, it's just kind of asinine. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just because something happened first doesn't mean it was uh, a causation of what happened next, right? Right. You could go back and say that uh, alcohol was your gateway drug, or or breast milk. If you want to go all the way down the line, right? It was the first substance you got. So uh, let's well, let's blame it everything on that. I have to um, laugh at your poster behind you because Reefer Madness, you know, of course, I'm a Sublime fan. You know, they, they there's lots of reference to marijuana and all kinds of culture, pop culture. And that movie in itself was a hoot because it really puts the fear that it's like, oh, my gosh, this horrible, horrible thing. And like you just said, it's, you know, everybody you know is probably not everybody, but a lot of people that, you know, probably do partake. Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting that uh, the, the the opposition still holds on to these crazy reefer madness arguments. Like the like the world is going to fall apart if we legalize marijuana, and it's like you know what people are already doing this. Right. And just because you legalize it doesn't mean that a whole bunch of new people are going to do it. Uh, it just means that we're not going to be arresting the people that are currently doing it. Well, and forty so. percent less work, so maybe the police could focus on something else. Would be really nice. Now I want to plug one more time: lastprisonerproject.org. That is one of your uh, charities that you are passionate about. Um, so let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm real proud of that as an organization. Uh, we, we've committed to donating $100,000 to that uh, uh, organization over an amount of time. And you can help us by going to Soul Flower if you're a, if you're a licensed patient. If you're a card holder, you can go to Soul Flower, buy some copper state cartridges and, and help us uh, make that donation to the Prisoner Project. And uh, they, this arose out of the legal cannabis movement. And, uh, you know, the, the idea was, yeah, it's great to legalize uh, cannabis sales, but in order to really start to heal the, the fabric of this country and, and to start to right the wrongs of the past, we need to make sure that uh, we can get those folks out of jail that don't belong there. Right. And so their, their mission is that they're not going to rest until every last cannabis prisoner is released um, along with side, alongside legalization. So it's, well, it's important that we do that. Well, we'll make sure to post that site along with smartandsafeaz.com as we promote our show. And as I was scrolling through Arizona's largest cannabis, okay, so it looks like you guys are assuming we're winning this ballot um, being passed. Arizona's largest cannabis producer looks ahead to expand retail ahead of adult use legalization. Can you speak to that at all for us, Ryan? Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, you, there, there's a, a lot of demand uh, under the existing medical program. I mean, we've gone from uh, 15 or 20,000 patients at the start to mm-hmm. 250,000 patients in Arizona. Wow, that's uh, huge. And not only that, but there's been this transition away from illegal black market cannabis and even gray market cannabis into the legal market. So the legal market continues to grow. Uh, regardless of whether we would pass recreational or not. So we want to make sure that we're prepared to serve our patients and our consumers. And uh, so we're just planning ahead for the future. And yeah, I think think we have a a pretty good uh, hope and belief that 207 will pass. The polling is strong and 
and it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I think there's a quote out there that says there's no, nothing so powerful as an idea whose time has come. It's just time. I can't agree with you more. So there's a couple questions I want to hit before we finish the show from our viewers. The first one, I feel like we kind of hit, but maybe not from the angle that they are asking. Uh, not sure if he'd be able to answer this, but why would anyone convicted of a certain marijuana-related crimes have the right to petition the courts for expungement of their criminal record if said crimes happened before it was legal in the state? What say you? Did you get a chance to read that one, Ryan? Do you want me to say it again? Yeah, I'm not. I, I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what they're asking, but it seems like like what gives them the why, right? Why should we allow somebody yeah. to expunge their record? Right. right. I think that's what they're asking. Yeah. Well, because it was wrong to put them in jail in the first place. That's why. Okay. Uh, and, and because the the consequences of that can last, like we said, for generations. Sure. It's simply immoral and unjust to uh, pro- prevent somebody from uh, living a, a, becoming a productive member of society because they did something that was uh, a, re- a vestige of a, of a law that never should have been passed in the first place, right? Well, so it's, in, it's important that we, that we uh, allow them to expunge those records and to, and, to, and to set a level playing field for their re-entry into society. I like that answer. Thank you, sir. Let me get you to question number two. Also, if Prop 207 allows individuals to grow up to six plants in their residence, doesn't that hurt businesses like his clients? <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's perfectly legal for you to brew your own beer, but it doesn't stop you from going to the store and buying it or going to a market, <laughs> right? so, I have a feeling you've said that before. So, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm sure the ones that are at home are not uh, at maybe not the same quality as what you'd find going into a retail establishment where somebody who's perfected the process, right? Yeah, you know, growing cannabis is very hard. It's very challenging. And so we we would encourage everybody to try that and find out so that they can come buy our cannabis. And see the difference. (laughs) Okay, one more question for you. And last but not least, and this was something I'd never heard of. So of course I had to Google this. I would be interested to know what, if any thoughts there are about cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome. From what I understand, areas that legalize it are seeing increasing rates of the illness. It's not a widely publicized issue, but I personally know people who have it and it's debilitating. Everyone thinks marijuana has no negative side effects and that just isn't true. Although many people try to say CHS only affects longtime habitual users with the rising numbers in the newly legal states, is it more common to see these cases in people using for shorter periods of time? Is it the crop? Is it increased uh, potency? Some seems to be not enough research on it to say, probably because everyone is so excited about the profits of it. And so I'd never heard of that before. Have you ever heard of that? I'm assuming you have. Yeah, I I have heard of it. Uh, I think the science is still out as to exactly what it is or Uh what might cause it. the, the anecdotal reports seem to indicate that these are folks that, uh, that probably are using too much cannabis. Uh, there may be a genetic component to it. Uh, there also, it's a possibility that, uh, that this might be linked to unregulated or gray market cannabis that uh, may have pesticides on it, for example, that isn't being tested. So uh, Some it's, chemicals it's in there kind of thing. It's something that we certainly need to keep our eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if it's something that, that you might suffer from, uh, you know, there's a there's a relatively easy way to treat it. And it's to stop Just to stop it. using it. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Well, and then one last question I have for you, because I've heard this before, and I don't know if this is true. Is cannabis really um, addicting? 
chemically to people or is it just more of a habitual thing like are there if somebody has this develops this will they have problems like withdrawing from it I'm just curious. Yeah, so it's it's not physically addicting like uh, like alcohol or uh-huh. nicotine might be. Uh, it certainly can be u- uh, abused like mm-hmm. any other drug, right? There's always a difference between a use and, a, and an abuse of a substance. Um, any substance can be abused. Sure. Frankly. Uh, and, Coffee. And there certainly are some psychological ramifications to abusing mm-hmm. a substance. Okay. Right? So, uh, part of the the uh, the best thing about this initiative is that it'll allow those folks to get help without having to go to jail. Right. So if you are a substance abuser, uh, if you abuse cannabis and it's becoming a problem in your life, uh, this initiative will provide funding so that you can get treatment for that. So you don't have to go to jail to, to deal with that. Well, I think you've been a wealth of information, and I know when I get my ballot, which one I'll be checking. I'll definitely be checking yes to pass Prop 207. Before we end the show, Ryan, thank you so much for your time, by the way. Is there any last words that you'd like to share with our audience about why they need to make sure they're checking the box 207 yes as well? Yeah, I th- thank you so much for having me on. It's been really enjoyable, and I, I always appreciate opportunities to have frank discussions about cannabis uh, because we haven't had enough of them. Uh, bottom line is that even if even if you think nobody should ever use cannabis, uh, I think that we can all agree that people don't belong in jail for it. Right. And the only way to to prevent that from happening is to not only decriminalize it, but also to legalize the safe distribution of it to regulate it and tax it so we don't have instances where uh you know people are buying it and it's uh, in an alley and and they end up uh getting shot either by the police or by somebody else or or they use cannabis that is tainted with something because it was imported by a cartel uh these are all things that that we can address easily by legalization of cannabis and they and it's time they need to happen Mm -hmm. Uh, so i would encourage you to have some frank uh, discussions with your family and friends about it and uh, please consider voting yes on 207. And one last time, because I want you to run off that list. There is a lot of different organizations that will benefit financially from the tax that we are expecting to collect. Can you please run through that list one more time so that our audience can remember who they may be helping, whether they choose to use it or not themselves, who they may be helping if they've helped pass this initiative? Absolutely. So uh, the, the economic study shows that at, at uh, full capacity, the, uh, the system will generate about $300 million annually in revenue for the state. Uh, that money goes first to help the courts pay for the expungement process. It next goes uh, about a third, a third, and a third, roughly. Uh, you can look up the exact percentages if you'd like on that, the website that you've got there. Uh, but to police and fire districts uh, and fire departments to pay for their pension obligations. That is uh, important. And then to uh, community colleges, mm-hmm. then to the state highway user fund uh, to pay to, to fix some of our crumbling highways, which I think we all know desperately needs to happen. Right. Uh, and, uh, and then to Department of Health Services to help uh, people with substance abuse issues and to help with education. And then also to this justice justice reinvestment fund uh, to organizations like the Last Prisoner Project and other organizations to help uh, deal with the negative effects of the of the criminal justice system and help right some of the wrongs of cannabis prohibition. Well, that was quite a mouthful, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, I know I'm going to be voting yes, and I hope everybody who's watching does as well. Let's get it passed this time. Thanks for joining Absolutely. us, Ryan. Thank you so much. What a great show. And thank you for joining us on our mutual journey to becoming unharmable and successful in all of our experiences while we're here in this school of life. 
We hope you enjoyed it. If you watched us on YouTube, please like and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Likewise, if you're catching us on one of our podcast platforms, be sure to follow us so you never miss out on another one of our shows again. Remember that if you ever have a question about real estate or any of the other topics we cover, check us out on the web, www.gratefulheart.tv, for all of our links to connect with us. Otherwise, we'll have another show for you again right here next Monday at 11 a.m. Arizona time. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, hey, hey I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day